Well, last week, <clears throat> last week, I had said I was going to do an experiment and type out all my notes to see how it went, and uh, I'm back to the handwritten ones. So uh, I had to go back to what I knew. Uh, my wife also told me that uh, um, that I did well last week, but I wasn't really myself when I was speaking. I could have been more myself up here, as if as when I'm with the teens or I'm with with uh, teaching the college and career and things like that. So I'm going to do my best to let let me be myself today, and uh, hopefully the Lord will bless and uh, His word will be pushed up forward more than my words. But uh, Happy Father's Day to everybody. Happy Father's Day. Um, I, I am privileged and honored to be able to speak at Father's Day, during Father's Day, be able to stand up before you and be able to bring a sermon to you. And as usual, I, I wrestle around with what to, what to call the sermon, what the title to put the sermon, so I have four of them, so you can pretty much choose whichever one you want. Um, what fathers can do, what dads can do, what men can do, or what we all can do. So those are the, those are the titles. Choose, choose whichever one you like. Uh, what we can do, what dads can do, fathers do, men do, we all can do. It's amazing how time flies. It, was, it seems like it was just yesterday that it was the year 2000, 2001. Um, my daughter was born December 17th, 2000, Hannah, my oldest. And... And it just seems like such a long time, you know, such a short time ago, yet it's eight years. It's seven, eight years. Uh, time really does fly. Well, when my daughter was born, uh, we were very blessed because she actually slept through the night uh, between two and three months. So it was uh, 10 and 12 weeks. She was doing really well sleeping through the night. And uh, uh, kudos to my, to my wife for doing that, keeping a, a good schedule and regimented and, and uh, being lovingly firm and and, uh, and we did a good, I thought we did a fairly good job of being able to sleep through the night. But um, it was during that time that she was, uh, she was just getting out of the waking us up in the evening, in the middle of the night. And, and we would take turns going, getting up to, to give her a bottle during the night. <clears throat> well, we heard her whimpering and crying a little bit. And she was in the other room. And uh, it was my turn to get up and, and, uh, and feed her a bottle. So I got up and I, I grabbed a pair of sweatpants. And the pair of sweatpants that I grabbed were, were my dad's sweatpants. And they're, they're too big for me, but, uh, but they're really, really comfortable. So uh, I, you know, I put my sweatpants on. And if anyone that's been to college with me, even the teens at uh, winter retreat and stuff, when I, carry the, I have these sweatpants, um, even camping out at the rugged retreat, um, I'll put the, the sweatpants on, but I won't put my feet all the way through because they're so big, it's kind of like little footsies for an adult, I guess. But uh, uh, so uh, I would, uh, I'd have my feet inside, inside of, the, of, the, of my sweatpants. So I went in, and when I went in to, to check on her, she actually just made a couple whimpers, and then she fell back asleep. So I thought in my mind, well, she's probably going to wake up because she's a little unsettled. So I laid down, laid down by the crib beside her. And sure enough, she, she gave another cry, and I got up, and I... I took her in my arms, and we were in Lancaster, PA at the time, and uh, it was like a condo, a little townhouse where the bedroom's upstairs and the kitchen was downstairs. And, and I picked her up in my arms, you know, a couple months old, and I went to go down the steps, and as I was getting ready to go down the steps, 
Remember those sweatpants I told you, the, the footies? Um, I, I slipped, and, uh, and my feet went out, straight out, and I had my, my daughter in my hand, and I landed smack dab on my back and just went straight down the stairs. You know, by the time by the time I got up, you know, Hannah was screaming. She had a pacifier. Scott ejected. You know, I picked her up and I was, you know, totally dazed. Middle of the night, and Alicia was at the top of the stairs. What happened? You know, wide awake. What's going on? What happened? You know, and I finally made it back up the steps, and I was like, I fell down the stairs. You know. Fell on the stairs. You know, Hannah's screaming. So Alicia is hysterical. And she grabs, the, grabs Hannah and she lays her on the bed, flips on the light, and he lays on the bed. And, oh, should we call the name? Should we do that? I was like, you know, I was still in a daze. I was like, I don't know. I, I, you know, is she okay? I was concerned, is she okay? And then, and then it was like one of those role reversals. She's hysterical and I'm totally calm. And then it was like, you know, and then I became hysterical and she became totally calm. I was like, maybe we should call Navy. Maybe we should call the doctors, the ER, get an MRI down. What are we going to do? Call in 911. She called 911. And uh, she's like, well, well, let's think here. And um, she's like, go down and get her a bottle. And uh, actually, said, forget it, I'll do it. Actually, I remember that specifically. She's, she went down and gave me the bottle. Um, and uh, I'm just trying to walk around my back. And uh, we gave her the bottle. And as soon as we gave her the bottle, she, quiet, she quieted up and she started drinking. And, and then we were feeling her head and feeling her ears and her cheek and her jaws and feeling her, her arms and her, all over her body, counting the digits, you know, and everything's okay. And, and it turned out that, that uh, she didn't hit anything when going down the stairs because when I, when I slipped, I had her in my arms, so I just took the brunt of the fall right on my back. And uh, um, a side note, I had to get up the next day and I was an admissions counselor at the time, eight years ago, for Lancaster Bible College. Um, I would go to different schools. I'd go to churches. I'd go to any type of function. I would talk, show people the Bible college. But I would also go around and tell people the necessity of Bible knowledge. And I loved it. Because I could go and I could preach and teach about, you've got to know the Bible. You've got to know God's Word. And for any of the teens that are in here, as I've said for the past six years, and I'll say it again, you need to go to Bible college for at least one year. You need to go to Bible college. Submerge yourself. We're out of high school. Submerge yourself. You're not doing anything anyways. Submerge yourself in, in one year of Bible college. One year just totally immersing yourself in Bible college. And then you can go and do whatever you want. You can be a brain surgeon, whatever. Just take one year and devote one year to totally absorb yourself in Bible college. Whether Lancaster Bible College, Appalachian Bible College, Baptist Bible College, Philadelphia Biblical University, uh, Word of Life Bible Institute, uh, any of these Bible colleges, Cincinnati Bible College, a Calvary Bible College, let's go to Bible College. So I was, the next day I had to drive to a school and represent, represent a, a college. Um, and as I was driving my little Jetta, I was like driving like with my chest up near the steering wheel because I got burned all down my back, rug burn all down my back. And it was one of those bad burns that was just, you know, you can't, you can't, you can't do anything about it. You just have to let it go. And as I was driving to this high school uh, fair thing and telling people about Bible college, I thought, how perfect that is, uh, an illustration of, of God himself. 
allowing his son, Jesus Christ, to take the fall for us. You know? Our Savior, Jesus Christ, took the beating for us. It was a blessing to hear, uh, hear Joe Lanham speak of Isaiah 53, one of my favorite chapters. You know, and by his stripes we are healed. And for Jesus Christ himself to wrap us in his arms, take the beating that he took, the nails in his, in his forearms, the be having the beard pulled out of his face, being spit on, being cursed at, being made fun of, being ridiculed. And he did, he did that for us. He took that for us. What a good father we have. What a good heavenly father we have. That he would do that for us. Um, so Hannah was okay. My, my wounds healed. And I actually thought afterward, I was like, that would be a good sermon illustration one day. You know? Uh, <laughs> But uh, I think, to, uh, but at that time, even at that time, everything that, everything that was going on in life, you know, I would always try to equate it to the Bible. I think it's a good thing to do. Everything that happens in our life, we should ask, what's God teaching me through this? How can I learn from this? What's a verse that might apply to this, this area of my life? But I'm here to talk, about, I'm here to talk about, about fathers, about men, and what they can do, and what we can do. And I have a, uh, as I, in my research, I was, uh, you can turn your Bibles to Genesis 3, actually. But I want to read this little this little section of, uh, uh, of some research that I had done um, in the Barna group. And uh, the Barna is a statistical group. And um, whenever I read these statistics, I kind of get depressed. You know, I kind of get sad because it just doesn't look good. These statistics just don't look good. And it's just the facts. It's just the truth. But, it, you know, when you read them, you get done. You're like, man, it's just, you know, it's kind of sad. You know, because he does everything with church and with teens and different generations, those people that are involved in, involved in church and things of that nature. But this is the things that I'd pulled off, the, um, off of his, off the Barna Research Group website. And, uh, and the title is even sad in of itself. It says, Women are the backbone of Christian congregations in America. Before I go any further, I want you to know that we have an abnormal church. We have an abnormal church. We've got a large group of men sitting in this congregation. And praise the Lord that we have, we have men that are willing to, to come to church and hear God's word being preached and uh, endeavor to live there, to live as godly as possible in their homes. Not perfect, but we endeavor to do it. So we are, we are, we are uh, uh, highly above average in our church. But uh, this is the statistics of the, of the United States in general. Although women account for half of the U.S. adult population, they represent a majority of religious active religiously active individuals in 12 of 13 religious activities examined. Women's participation levels outdistance that of men in the following areas. There's a bunch of extra statistics, but I'll just hit the headings. 16% are more likely to pray. 23% are more likely to donate to a church. 29% are likely to share their faith with others. Uh, also, 29% are more likely to read their Bible and more likely to attend church. 33% are more likely to volunteer for a church. 39% are more likely to have a devotional time or quiet time. 46% are more likely to disciple others. 54% are more likely to participate in a small group. 57% are more likely to participate in an adult Sunday school. And 100% are 
are more likely to be involved in discipleship. To be involved. 100% are more likely to be involved in discipleship. Twice as many as men. Um, that's pretty sad. That's pretty sad. And as I was preparing for my, my sermon today, I, I could only go back to the beginning, to Genesis 3, and seeking to find out from the first man just what went wrong. What, what went wrong? What went wrong in, in that things that happened in the, the historical account of Genesis 3 that we can see a rippling effect that are, that are still holding true today in, in our society, our modern-day society. The Bible is relevant, is it not? The Bible is relevant. Whether it be Genesis or Revelation, is relevant for us today. So I thought it would be beneficial for us to go to Genesis 3 in the beginning and, uh, and read this account of uh, Adam and Eve in the garden. And uh, I have three points that I want to pull out of it. And uh, then I want to go to a different portion of Scripture. Um, there's many other points that we can pull out of, this, out of uh, this, this text. But for this morning and the sake of Father's Day and what fathers can do, um, I decided to, to limit myself to these, these three points. I chatted with Pastor Van really early in the week and I said, hey, I'm thinking about speaking on Genesis 3. And, and, uh, and he, said he, would, he said, that's all good. Just because he's in the Genesis series, I didn't want to steal his thunder. He said he would work around it. So uh, it was a blessing for me. But let us go ahead and read Genesis 3, chapter 3, verse 1. And we'll read, we'll read down a little bit, probably to 19, verse 19. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other, excuse me, more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called the man, Where are you? He answered, I, I heard you in the garden, but I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put me here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you've done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you've done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman in between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, 
Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through pain, painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you will return. What in the world happened there? What in the world happened there? Let us turn to, back to verse 6 in this passage. And uh, keep your finger on that passage. I want to make a comment about, about something that happened a little earlier in chapter, in chapter 3. You notice it says here in, uh, in chapter 3, verse 3, it says that uh, the woman is, is reflecting on what God has told her. And the serpent asked her you know, why he, she didn't eat from that tree. He said, you must not eat from the tree. God said, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. That's interesting to look at that little section right there. Because if we go back to chapter 2, verse 17, here's what God says. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for when you eat of it, you will surely die. They don't quite match up. The woman said, we must not, you must not eat of it, and you must not touch it, or you will die. We need to know our Bible. We need to know our Bible. We need to know what it says. We need to know what God's Word says. Exactly. Exactly what God's Word says. When you memorize a verse, you try to memorize it exactly as, as it says. What happened in this case was, most likely... Eve heard that, we're not, that she wasn't supposed to eat of, this, of the fruit. And she said, well, I better just not even touch it either. And of course, at the time, she, she kind of thought in her mind, well, God said I shouldn't touch it. The problem is, she took scripture, don't eat of the fruit, and she added something extra onto it. She added something extra onto it to make it so she, might, she would even seem better, maybe like a precautionary measure, whatever. But she added to scripture, and that little tiny part a little tiny part. She added to it. And then ended up happening is, she got confused, she got deceived. Because God did not say that. He said, don't eat it. He didn't say, don't touch it. Now, is it, is it, good? Is it a good measure not to even get near that tree? Yes, indeed. You know, not touch it. But, but she had to add that portion of what God had said, and that is not what God said. And as we, our finger is stuck on, on verse 3, that was what happened to Eve. Let's take a look and see what happened, what, what Adam did, the first man. Three main problems that I see happen in this historical account. First one is in verse 6. It says here, When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, who was with her. And he ate it. Hmm. The scenario. Serpent, Eve, Adam, conversation going on. She reaches out, she grabs a fruit. He was with her. And she reaches. And at that moment, you think he'd bat it out of her hand or something, you know? Don't do it! Don't stop! Just do something. But what's he do? He watches. 
and he lets it go. He lets her do it. The problem that he did, what he did was he just sat there. One problem. He just, he just sat there. No action. Passive. He could have stepped up, he could have said, no, get away, shoo, don't eat that, stop. But he didn't do it. You know, uh, when, I was, when I was in high school, an example of somebody being passive, um, in high school, normally what will happen in the course of high school is two people will end up not liking each other and want to fight in the hallway. Uh, it's, it's, it's just a, a matter of life. You end up fighting in the, kids end up fighting in the hallway. And what happens when kids fight in the hallway? They go up, they go up, they start fighting. And what do all the other kids do? The other kids jump in and say, please wait, brother, wait, brother. This trespass you have against each other, this can be reconciled clearly over some tater tots in the cafeteria. Let us, let us enjoy tater tots and dip them in the ketchup together and fellowship with one another and seek reconciliation for this problem. What happens to those kids? You know? They're like, you know, they're like, they're like, oh, fight, 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 fight. And they stand around, they stand around, they get in this big circle that gets kind of tight, and then it gets so tight that it kind of pushes the guys that probably don't really even want to fight. They're just kind of mad at each other. It kind of pushes them together and pushes them closer and closer and closer. And then the circle gets tighter and tighter, and everyone's just watching, just watching it take place. And they get so tight that the, 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 the teachers come to them, they can't get through. They've got to like weave their way through this mangled mess of kids just to try to break it up. You know, I was guilty of that in high school. Not, not a fighting, but I was guilty of standing there, standing there and watching, and watching. It's passive. And a prime example of not doing something. You know, now, I, now you know, I've got some intelligence in me, and I, I, I don't like to see people fight, and I try to go up there and, you know, fight in that scenario. But um, the question is, um, are men passive? Are men passive, really? Are men really passive? Be a good question to ask. A rhetorical question. No need to answer that. I'll answer it for you. Are men passive people? Take a look at hunting. At hunting. We go out, put camouflage on, put scent block on us. We go out, we sharpen our, sharpen our arrows. We, uh, we practice on the, on the fake deer and the hay bales. We get really good. We go out and we stalk this deer. We stalk this deer. We find out where he's coming from, where he's going, what he's eating, what time of day he's there, all this stuff. And we sit and wait and ambush, and ambush for this deer. And then we do our best to take it down, provide meat for our family, you know? How about, how about on television, the ultimate fighting championship, the UFC? That's really gotten big over the past five, ten years. And boxing, UFC, if you don't know it, UFC is basically two guys getting this cage, and the only rule is you can't jab them in the eye and you can't bite them. That's basically it. There's only two rules. And they just go out and they just like tear each other to pieces. And uh, it's got a really big following. Guys are just like, you know, wow. Boxing. You know, guys just being aggressive with each other, beating each other right in the middle of a ring. NASCAR. A lot of people just watch NASCAR for the wrecks. You know, they watch NASCAR to see what happens. How about just driving? How about, let's bring it home. Let's really bring it home. How about just driving on the highway? You're in, the driving, you're in the driving lane. There's a passing lane and a driving lane. 
Um, some people in my family always try to encourage them to get in the driving lane instead of staying in the passing lane. But there's a passing lane, and people, cars go past, and you're always supposed to stay on the right-hand side of the highway. You've got the cruise control set, and you're driving along, you know, going the speed limit, and then there's this car that has its cruise control set just at .0005 miles an hour more than you. So you're driving, and this car comes, and just ever so slowly, just comes even with you. And for some strange reason, I guess NASCAR must be the drafting. It comes even with you and sits even with you. What do guys want to do? What do guys want to do? You got cruise control, just a little, little tippity tap on the, on, the, on, the, on the accelerator button. Boop. You know, give it a little mile, one more mile per hour. You know, and then that guy ends up doing the same thing. Dip, dip. You know, you uh, ended up, you know, going a little faster. And that guy's going faster. You know, dip, 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 you know, and pretty soon you're going like 15 miles over the speed limit. You're like white knuckled, you know, looking over at the guy thinking, man, this guy ain't going to beat me. He's not going to get past me. It is, for some reason, you know, maybe I'm just talking about myself here. I don't know. Maybe I'm revealing some of my own inadequacies, I guess. With, uh, I've got to beat the guy in the other minivan beside me or something, you know. But, uh, you know, but, uh, but the, aggressive, you know, the aggressive nature that we have in ourselves, men have in themselves. We are aggressive. The point is, we are aggressive, you know. Even uh, uh, getting something done quick, or getting to the water fountain first, or uh, getting the best parking spot, or whatever. We have this aggressive nature in us. So, if we're not passive, if we're so aggressive, why are we passive to spiritual things? Why are we passive to spiritual things? The statistics do not lie. Why are men passive when it comes to the Word of God? Hmm. The problem that Adam had, he just sitting around. He just sat around. He knew things were not right. He knew things were, were just were not what God would want. And he just sat around. He sat around. As men, do we just sit around? Do we just sit around and let things happen in our families, in our lives, at the water fountain, at the, at the water cooler, at work? Uh, do we overlook things? Do we just pass by things? We think it's not that big a deal. What we saw on television ain't that big a deal. Um, do we let just things? Do we just sit and let things go by? He sat there. Another thing. Another thing that Adam did. In verse ten. Let's take a look at verse ten. Verse nine. It says, "But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Where are you?'" And verse ten says. He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. God says, who told you? Who told you you were naked? Have, I, have you eaten from the tree that I command you not to eat from? The next problem with Adam is that he hid. He hid. He was so afraid that he hid. You know, men are really good at this. Men are so good at this. Hiding their feelings, hiding things. We, we glorify this in our society. We call it being stoic. You know, whenever the good or bad happens, we're stoic. We don't let things, we don't let things move us. We're like, we're solid. You know, we get a needle. We don't cry. We don't whimper. We don't whimper. Our little, our little sons, big boys don't cry. Big boys don't cry. 
Put on a brave face. Put on a brave face, son. Even the commercials. Never let him see you sweat, you know. Don't ever let him see that you might have some sort of inadequacy, some sort of sin. Don't ever let anyone see, don't ever let anyone see that you are, dare I say, not perfect. <laughs> imperfect. And we are, we are imperfect people. But yet we always try to put the game face on. Even when we come into church, we come and we sit down. Hey, how you doing? Good to see you, brother. Hey, everything's going. How you doing? Good, good. Hey, I'm doing good too. Great, thanks, bye. You know, that's, you know, we, we, we put up this falseness. We, we hide ourselves, hide ourselves behind this, this false reality. And you know what Adam did? He hid. He hid. It's interesting that... Uh, that God had to say in verse 9, where are you? Okay. Did God not know where Adam was? Sure he did. Sure he knew where Adam was. Did God, when he said in verse 11, have you eaten from the tree that I command you not to eat from? Did he know? Of course he did. The little kid, the, always the, this analogy, the little kid that takes a cookie out of the cookie jar, and yet the cookie jar, the top of the cookie jar is off to the side. There's uh, a trail of crumbs. You know, you could almost make five, six cookies from the crumbs that are on the ground. And the kid's standing there with a big thing. And then mom says, did you eat a cookie? And he's, mm, mm, mm. no. You know? did, mom know, did mom know that he ate a cookie? She sure did. You know, cannot hide it. The evidence is too, too clear. Does God not know? Does God not, does God not know when something happens? Has it ever occurred to us that nothing has ever occurred to God? Does God, does God not know? In Psalm 139, when we rise, when we sit down, when we go out, when we come back, He knows the words on our tongue before we inform them. He looks at us in the, in the Hebrew, He pierces through us like a clear glass of water. He sees, sees right through us. He knows the hairs on our head. He knows how many days... He knows how many days we're going to be on this earth. He knew us before we were even formed in our mother's womb. He chose us before the foundation of the world. I think he knows us. I think he knows us. So what do we do? What do we do? We hide. Act like nothing's going. Act, act like we can hide from the Lord. What did God want? What, what, what did God want? God wanted Adam to say, God, you're right. I sinned against you. Please forgive me. I have sinned against you and I've disobeyed your commands. Please forgive me. I wonder what would have happened if that would have, that would have been the case. But instead, well, before I get any farther, we end up isolating ourselves from each other. By hiding these things, by hiding these things we, we don't want people to, to see our inadequacy so we don't open up to someone and we don't share this with them. We don't open up to the Lord. We don't share. We don't confess our sins to the Lord. We keep it in a little tiny little tiny box in our heart that God can have every little spot except this little tiny section of our heart that we want to hide and keep all these deepest, darkest sins for ourselves and not confess them, not, you know, not, not commit them to Him. We need accountability. Number one, with God. We need, to be, we need to become accountable to God for all of our actions, right and wrongs. Number two, we need to be accountable to each other. Uh, I think that every person, I know, every person in this room needs to have an accountability partner. Someone that you can, that you can open the window of your heart, spill your guts to, 
And when you tell them, when you spill your guts to them, they're not going to run out and, and spread it all over the world. But they're going to take it and they're going to encourage you. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens the other. A cord of three strands is not easily broken, as, as Ecclesiastes said. Two are better than one. They have good return for their, for their work. You know, these, all these verses that talk about accountability. Accountability. We need to have accountability with each other. Most importantly, we need to have accountability with God. We need, we need to quit hiding. You know what? It takes more of a man to confess his sins than to repress his sins. It takes more of a man to confess his sins to the Lord than repress them and act like they never even happened. That's a man. That's a real man. We need to quit hiding. Adam hid. He was afraid and he hid. How about verse 12? Let's take a look at verse 12. It says, and we, we've read that uh, God said, you know, have you eaten from the, from the tree? You know, have you done this? And instead of, instead of Adam, yes, I did. Please forgive me. I, I, you know, I sinned against you. He said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit to eat for the tree and I ate it. It was a woman's fault. The woman did it. And if we even look, press even just, just a little bit farther, he says, the woman that you gave me, God, you're the one who did it. The woman, you gave me her, and she's the one that did it. He started blaming everybody else but himself. He blaming people. He starts blaming. Who does he blame? God. He blames his wife. Blames other people. Um, I'm going to turn briefly to, to James. James 1. And uh, uh, you can just listen or you can jot it down in your notes or you can look it up. It doesn't matter. I'm going to go ahead and read it right now. James chapter 1 verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when... By his own evil desires, he's dragged away and enticed. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he's dragged away and enticed. Genesis? It wasn't God. It wasn't Eve. It was Adam. But he's blaming everybody else. You know, uh, we need to take responsibility. We need to take responsibility for our actions. Society says, oh, I had a, uh, oh, my mom and dad weren't kind to me. Um, I, you know, I never had a dad. I never had a mom. Um, I was the oldest. I was the youngest. I was the middle child. Uh, I, you know, I never had what other people had. I never got the good job. I got passed up for that job. And, I, you know, if I, just my boss. It was my boss's fault. Um, I lived on the wrong side of the tracks. I didn't, you know, I wasn't raised, I wasn't raised, raised like everybody else was. I didn't have this, I didn't have it. It's this fault, it's that fault, it's this reason, it's that reason why I'm not, why, why, why I sin. <laughs> it's that reason why I sin, you know. So therefore, I can go on sinning and then blame everybody else. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. We're made in His image. We have the Word of God right in front of us. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Pressing toward the mark to win the prize of the high calling of God. Philippians says, Philippians 3. We didn't take responsibility for our own actions. 
Everyone wants to pass the, block, pass the buck, pass the blame on somebody else. Even the first man, Adam, blaming somebody else. We need to take responsibility. And uh, I felt as if, um, in preparing for this, and also last week, that, that, I, that I'm the type of, that I was preaching like this, 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 like down on you and stuff. And everyone, they left the, the service today, they'd be like, you know, all slouched over and, you know, I gotta quit sitting by the sideline, I gotta quit blaming, I gotta quit hiding. And I, and I really was convicted as I was studying. And I'd like us to transition to a different, a different book of the Bible. Micah 6, 8. Micah 6. Micah 6. It goes, uh, um, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. There it is. There it is. Um, got that right. Didn't I get that right? Did I get that right? Anybody? Quizzing me, please? Quiz me. Um, I, try to do that. I try to do that with the teens because a lot of times the teens don't know where they're, don't know where they're going. And if a teen, a teen will bring in a friend that has no idea what even the word Bible means or that, you know, has never held a Bible in his hand, never come to church, I try to say these things so that they don't feel as left out when they're looking for, looking for a, small, a small book. And a challenge to us all, memorize the books of the Bible. Memorize the books of the Bible. It's a good way to start. Memorize the books of the Bible. That way you can flip to it quicker. And if you see a parallel passage or something, you can flip to it quick. It'll help you in your study and help you in your personal life. You know, it'll help you. Help you memorize exactly where they're at. We're in Micah 6. And I'm going to go ahead and read Micah 6, 6 to 6, 8. Um, the first portion... He's just saying, God has blessed the children of Israel. God has blessed them. And this is, this is the response here, Micah 6, 6. With what shall I, I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He's saying, what can I do? What can I do? I'll do anything, God. I'll do anything. What do you want me to do? You want me to um, sacrifice a bunch of rams? You want me to give a bunch of oil? You want me to sacrifice my firstborn son to take care of the sins and my transgressions? Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. I'll do it. It says here in Micah 6, 8, look what it says. He has showed you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? Here it is. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's the requirement. There's other passages of Scripture that talk about what it means to be a man and, and uh, be godly and being upright, but uh, I thought this was very fitting. He has shown the old man what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justly, act justly, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. A great verse as men, for us men to memorize. A man verse. A good man verse for us to memorize. So we can chew on it and think about it and dwell on it. So what's it mean? To do justly. To do justly. I'm going to fly through these. The de definition of just is the act or being of conformity, in conformity to what is morally upright or good. Some synonyms for it are fair, honest, and integrity. Do you know that in 2005, the number one word for 2005 was integrity? 
integrity. Merriam-Webster, the dictionary people and the online people and stuff, they have this like meticulous way that they will research how many times a word is used. They actually spend portions of their day, one to two hours a day, reading over magazines, looking at uh, news, looking at uh, television, these different types of things that already gets registered over the internet. And they jot down, they put these three by five cards and they write down the words, the words that were used, the, the larger words that were used. And they put them down, they put them all, file, all file them up and they tabulate them and they're really meticulous about it. And in 2005, the word integrity, integrity was the word that was used most. The number one word according to Miriam Webster, Miriam and Webster. A lot of people must have been trying to figure out what it meant. Doing what is morally upright or good. It says in Amos 5 that... Uh, Amos 5, don't need to turn there. I'll go ahead and read it to you. I hate, I despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Trying to say how we can worship the Lord. These are all these different ways we can worship the Lord. We can serve the Lord. I don't want any of that stuff. I don't want any of that stuff. Do you know what the next verse says? But let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never failing stream. What do we need in this society right now? We need people standing up saying what is morally good and what is morally upright. Goodness. What is going on with our society that men are abandoning what is upright and what is morally sound to go to things that are debased and just unfruitful and ungodly? You know what we need to do as men? We need to act justly, do justice. How about love and mercy? Love mercy. Do justly. Love mercy. I am a hugger. I'm a hugger. I like to hug. Uh, uh, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm big on the side hugs. You know, I, I try to spend as much time as I can with the teens, the teen guys especially. I, I focus on the teen boys. I try to give them hugs, give them, you know, bump them with the elbow, high fives, pats on the back, pat them on the knee when I'm sitting beside them, rub, scrub their head. Um, those type of things. Physical touch, physical touch. Give them encouragement that way. Hug them. Because that's my way. It's my way to show compassion and love to them. Because some of these kids go through stuff that we, wouldn't, we, we could not handle. We as adults could not handle. Some of these kids, they don't have a dad. They don't have a dad. They've got a dad, but they don't have a dad. They've got a father, but they don't have a dad. You know, that's there saying, I love you. I love you, son. Kissing him on the cheek. Hugging him. Patting him on the back. You know, tell him how special he is. Fathers, tell your kids how special they are. Love them. Hug them. Squeeze them. It'll last an eternity. It'll last a lifetime. I get it honest. My dad. <laughs> my dad's a hugger, too, so I get it pretty honest. Um, but, uh, you know, he trained me that way, and I'm so glad he did, because that's something that is needed. Love mercy. And it didn't just say have mercy. It said love mercy. Love mercy. Not on an obligation. I've got to have mercy on this person. You know, hey, pat on the back. Good to see you, you know. And I'm not saying this is a prime. I'm not saying this is showing mercy. I'm just saying in a lot of different ways. Not because you're obliged to. 
Pastor Billy said, I got to do it in a sermon. I got to love mercy. I go, I have to do it. You know, love it out of a, the wellspring of your heart. Should love, love mercy. Love mercy. Blessed are those who are merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Uh, Jesus Christ said in the Beatitudes, the very beginning of ministry, you know, have it come out of you, overflow out of you. If you see a need that someone has, oh, you know, be aggressive. You know, I wonder if I can call that person and wish, you know, encourage them before someone else does, you know. Uh, you know, actively seek it. Seek to be merciful. Seek to have compassion on other people. Call them, you know. One of the things, I got to apologize to Jim because, Jim, you haven't been here in a couple weeks and you've been on my mind and I have not called you and I, you know, and I'm so glad to see you today. I'm so glad to see you today. Uh, you know, he's in my heart. And I was like, man, I need to call Jim. Just see how he's doing. Just love on him a little bit. You know, a two-minute phone conversation to somebody. Tell them you're thinking about them and you just prayed for them right before you called. Whew. Compassion, mercy, love. Love it. Don't just do it because you have to. Do it because you want to because it comes out of you. How about walking humbly with your God? How about walking humbly with your God? What happened to, what happened to, to Adam? Before he walked in the garden with God. That was, must have been sweet. That must have been sweet. To walk with God in the garden. Open your heart. Talk about everything, anything. He'll share stuff with you. Oh, man, thank you, Lord. Hand in hand, arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder. But he didn't have humility. Sin is anything that is off the mark of God's standard. We all have sinned, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. God has set a standard. Adam thought, I'm going to be, I'm, I'm, I don't need to actually follow God's standard in this one case. I can do what I want to do. The pride in his own heart welled up to make him make a decision that was all from what God wanted. The pride that he had, the lack of humility he had, caused him to have separation from a, a pure walk with God. Yet Micah 6 8 says, Walk humbly with your God. Romans 3, uh, excuse me, Ephesians 2 8 and 9. Um, what we've got is a gift from God. It's not of anything we've done, not of works. We can't boast about it. 1 Corinthians 4 says, Why do we boast as if we've got stuff like we earned it? We didn't earn anything. So why do we boast about it? 1 Corinthians 4 7 says it. My paraphrase, to be brief. Why do we boast that we got stuff? Look, look what I got. We didn't get anything. God gave us everything. That's why God gives us food, air, clothes, shelter, life, heartbeat. And the verse that's been ringing in my ears for months is Romans 12, 3. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. If you think you stand heed, take, if you think you stand firm, take heed lest you fall. And that says in Corinthians, but Romans 12. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God's given you. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. You know, people, oh, good sermon, pat you on the back, and, hey, good singing, oh, you did a great job, oh, this, that, and the other. When I hear those things, I, I, I'm gracious and I accept them, but, but you know what, in my back of my mind, I'm like, you know, I'm just, I'm nothing without you, Christ. I'm nothing, I am nothing without you. So I'm going to close on that with this. We can either sit and hide and blame other people or we can act justly, love mercy, 
and walk with humility with our God. You know what it means to walk with your God? It means enter into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, a personal relationship with Him. And you can do that by calling out to Him, confessing your sins to Him, and just saying, I just want to have a relationship with you through your Son, Jesus. Jesus is the bridge. He's the bridge to make it happen. If you want to know more about it, ask me and I'll tell you. But uh, my positive challenge is we can do it. You know, Bob the Builder, can we fix it? Yes, we can. Can we do it? Yes, we can. We can do justly, act justly. We can love mercy and we can walk humbly with our God. We can do it today. We can do it when we walk out here. We have the ability. We're new creations. We're not bound by sin, as Romans 8 says. We're free from condemnation. I think we can do all do these things on this Father's Day and every day. Can do, can love, can walk. The important thing is, are we going to walk out and say that was a good sermon or that was, that was a good word or that was a good passage of Scripture and yet not do it and deceive ourselves, as James says? Are we actually going to live it? Are we actually going to live it? A challenge for me too. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are, you are everything. There's nothing that we have received on this earth that you have not given to us and given to us graciously and mercifully. You are the creator and sustainer of this earth. By your Son, Jesus Christ, all these things are held together. It's with humility, Lord, that we come before you and we confess our sins to you and we ask you, we implore you, we beg of you. Mold us into the men and women you want us to be in this Father's Day. Help us to not sit on the sidelines and not blame other people, to not hide our sins from you, for we cannot hide from you. Help us to confess our sins and, and glorify you in our actions and in our words and our relationships, in everything we say and in everything we do. I pray that you would give us the ability to be merciful, just, and give us humility on this Father's Day. Thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, who was the epitome of this. Help us to live our life for Him as He died for us and rose again. pray all these things, your Son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen.